The following audio is from our sermon series titled, We Are the Church, Our Identity, Our Values, Our Community. For more information about Harvest City Church, please visit our website at harvest.city. Good morning, church. Uh, you already heard from me a couple of times today, but I just want to let you know as we get started in God's Word today, uh, there's been a re- uh, specific request made uh, from the body this morning uh, during uh, the reunion uh, that I would ask for a- an extra helping of blessing for a certain team down in Texas uh, playing in the NFL this morning. Uh, and I will have you know uh, that, that I will, uh, I will, I can, I don't know if I can do that, okay? Uh, but I would uh, like to just say uh, that, you know, like we commit this to the Lord. Lord, let you have your way today here in our body and on whatever field people may be competing on this day. All right. Well, let's dive into uh, God's Word together. This week, we're going to continue in our series entitled, uh, We Are the Church. And I'm going to attempt to pick up uh, where my brother Dominique left off last week. Last week, Dominique walked us through Acts chapter 6, where we saw and discussed that there's going to be drama in the church. We cannot always avoid it, he said, but we can always respond appropriately to it. And then he said that God gives leaders to establish order within the church. You see, in the midst of that, he started to talk about spiritual gifts, and today uh, we're going to head to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 to 16. If you want to follow along in the Bible, it's going to be up here too, uh, but that's where you can head this morning, Uh, and we are going to dive for the next two weeks then into talking about spiritual gifts. So as we do that, let's start with the basics. Let's start with some simple questions like what exactly are spiritual gifts? Spiritual gifts are specific passions, skills, or abilities that are a direct result of the Holy Spirit's presence in your life. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says it like this. Uh, I memorized it in like Minnesotan when I was in college to kind of help me. So if I'm a little off what it says up here, I memorized it, don't you know? That you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives or dwells in you. Okay, here's the deal. Paul was reminding the Corinthian church in that passage that when the grace of God dawns in a person's life, when he or she, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone, is adopted into God's family, that in that moment we receive fantastic gifts. The Holy Spirit moves, and we become temples in which God's Spirit dwells. Spiritual gifts, then, are the gifts dispensed through the Spirit of God that empower the church to do ministry like the Son of God. Let me say that again. Spiritual gifts, then, are the gifts dispensed through the Spirit of God that empower the church to do ministry like the Son of God. For some people... These gifts are like brand new, you know, it's like the day that you get saved, all of a sudden uh, you didn't have this specific ability and now you do. For others, it's as if God is looking deep into your soul and drawing out that which he created you for in the first place. And as he recreates you in Christ, it's drawn out of you. There's a few different lists 
found in Paul's letters in the New Testament uh, where he talks about these spiritual gifts, okay? One of them is in Romans chapter 12, verses 6 to 8. Uh, another is in 1 Corinthians 12. That's where we're going to spend the bulk of our time next week. Uh, and the other one is here in our passage in verse 11 where we find ourselves this morning. It would seem to me that none of these lists are exhaustive. It's not like uh, Paul's trying to make sure that they know all of the gifts that the poss- possibly the Spirit of God could give you. But that in each one of these letters written to a specific church, Paul is speaking for their edification in the church at Rome, in the church at Corinth, and in the church in Ephesus. But before we go any further this morning, I want to make sure that we hear loud and clear that spiritual gifts are God-given abilities. They're given by the grace of God according to the measure of Christ's gift, like we see in our text this morning. And all believers have been given at least one spiritual gift. I want to make sure that we talk about that because I think there's some of us in the body of Christ just wondering, hey, like, uh, I'm not so sure about mine. Like, uh, how does that work? If you're here this morning and you are in Christ, God has specifically gifted you in some way, shape, or form. And so I want us to tap into that together this morning. Because the body of Christ works properly when each member uses their diverse gifts together in unity. This morning, I think God wants each one of us to hear because God's plan is to unite all things in Jesus Christ. Our conversation about spiritual gifts starts with the topics of unity, diversity, and maturity. My sermon title for this morning is We Are Gifted People. I ain't trying to say that all y'all and all of us belonging to the Talented and Gifted program, we're speaking about the gifts God's given us, right? We are gifted people. And this is part one, because we're going to get back there next week. Today we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 116, and we're going to see two things that I'm going to press in. Unity in the midst of diversity under the headship of Jesus Christ is foundational to any conversation about spiritual gifts. We'd be remiss to just start our conversation and dive right into apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers this morning. Uh, we got to start there. And second, God gives believers spiritual gifts here and now so that all of us would grow and maturity in Christ. Will you all pray with me? God, we are incredibly uh, dependent upon you. Each and every time that someone steps into this space uh, and seeks to speak from your word on your behalf, we entrust to you that you would take these words, that you would filter them through your grace and holiness, all that you are, and that what we would hear is you and your word this morning. Would you speak to us and do that work? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, here's where we're starting off this morning, church. Lesson number one is this. Unity in the midst of diversity, under the headship of Jesus, I know that's kind of wordy, but we gotta gotta get clear about that, is foundational to any conversation about spiritual gifts. Let's just go with verse one. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Y'all, I know it's been a while since we walked through all of Ephesians together. We were there a couple weeks ago in uh, chapter two. But if we were to look at Paul's letter to the Ephesians in two halves, I don't think it's an oversimplification to say that the first half, gospel theology, leads to the second half, gospel unity. 
Chapters 1, 2, and 3 in this letter, they're full of indicative statements about a believer's identity in Christ. Some of the best theology in the entire Bible in chapter 1 about who we are in Christ. And then the last three chapters, which we find ourselves in this morning, right at the beginning of, in chapter 4, verse 1, are full of imperative statements that tell believers how then we should live out our identity in Christ. The short version is this, gospel theology, believing right things about who we are in Christ, is the propane in our lanterns, so to speak, this morning, as we seek to live in a manner worthy of our calling to gospel unity. Right in Ephesians 1, we saw that the Father's plan is to unite all things in heaven and on earth under the person of Jesus Christ. That is his plan. This is the big idea of all of Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 2, we were reminded that the gospel opened a door for God's blessing to extend beyond the Jews, and he threw wide this door of grace to include non-Jews as well, Gentiles. So it shouldn't surprise us to see that unity is the foundation for Paul's discussion of spiritual gifts. Continue with me into verses 2 and 3. He says, With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. What do we learn here as we think about how to walk out gospel unity? Well, as overly simple as this might sound, I think it's actually quite profound. What we see here in verses 2 and 3 is that the outer fruit of gospel unity is not possible without the inner work of God through his spirit. You see it? The outer work of gospel unity is not possible without the inner work of God through his spirit. You see, if we're to look really closely at these couple of verses, what we're going to see is that gentleness, patience, love, and peace are mentioned here, all of which, if you looked at Galatians chapter 5 and a list of the fruit of, God's, of, the, fruit of the spirit, are fruit of the spirit. In other words... We don't grow in love, joy, peace, patience, the things that are going to bring about unity, the same way that you grow to be a better musician or grow in your vocation, right? If you were going to try and grow as a musician, uh, as you set out from here this morning, you might need to find an instructor, somebody really good at the part of music or kind of music that you want to grow in and come under their tutelage and teaching, and then you would need to put in the time to play your instrument or sing your voice uh, as much much as you could to practice, right? Uh, if you were to grow in your vocation, people would say that vocationally you would grow by A, building your social resume, who you know, uh, B, building your skill resume, what you can do, and C, uh, building your experience resume, how long you've been doing those things. But the fact that Paul urges the church to walk in a manner that shows the fruit of the Spirit tells us that if we want to be a church that grows in gospel unity, we cannot do that apart from being a church that overflows with gospel theology. The good news of the gospel needs to be the soil that we dig our roots into. It needs to be the water that we drink. It needs to be the sunshine that we bask in together as a church. We must regularly rehearse 
to ourselves and to one another gospel truths like we see here in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 to 6, the next few verses. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But as we rehearse this gospel theology that's so full of ones, we can't get our wires crossed up. Because oftentimes when the, word, uh, the world starts talking about unity, uh, what they really mean is uniformity. You know what I mean? People think like in a group of people, uh, if, if they're going to be in unity, that they have to think the same things about everything when really unity is not uniformity. And that's what we see even in this text. Don't get your wires crossed up. Unity is not uniformity. Look at verse 7. But grace, that's God's unmerited favor, was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gifts. God has given spiritual gifts to each one of us by his grace. But for time's sake, if you were to jump down to verse 11 with me, what we find out is that those gifts are not all the same. It's not uniformity. In other words, unity is not uniformity. Look at verse 11 with me. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. What we see in verse 11 is that God gave... The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers, and surely those gifts have some things in common, all right? They're each gifts for leaders to use to equip the saints and build up the body of Christ. But it'd be absurd to say that these gifts are somehow the same or uniform, wouldn't it? Here in Ephesians 4, these terms are not referring to offices. They're referring to functions or roles, Think about how uniquely each of these gifts can function in a missional family or in the body of Christ. And also how beautiful it is when, uh, in unity when they are all expressed together. We're going to talk about these five gifts a, a good amount this morning. But I want you to think in these lanes and then think, okay, if these were ex- expressed somehow uniformly, it would not be as beautiful as if they were expressed diversely but in unity. Okay, so think about this. Apostles, these are the movement-oriented leaders, okay? They're the people who push forward in the body of Christ or in your missional family. They have the big picture uh, in mind and can foresee transitions and navigate changes. They tend to be leaders of leaders. That's how they're going to uniquely use the gifts God's given them in the body of Christ. Prophets though, are the spiritual leaders who push up. They realize and express a desperate need for the Spirit of God in their community. These people want to hear from God, not just about Him or talk to Him. That's how they uniquely express the gifts God's given them by His grace in the body of Christ. Evangelists, then, are the missionary leaders that push us out. They love non-Christians and enjoy sharing the gospel. They want to see people meet Jesus. And that's how they 
in some way, shape, or form express their God-given gifts in the body of Christ. But that's not it. We've got the shepherds, right? And shepherds are the relational leaders. And they're the ones that push in. They're keenly aware for the need of the gospel to transform the community and the culture from the inside out. They tend to be discerning, caring people who love others well. And then you've got the teachers. See, teachers are the knowledge leaders who push down. They, they know towards the Bible, okay? Push down in this way, like down. Get your face in the word of God, okay? They know the Bible and can deepen the community theologically as it reaches into the culture. They tend to be theologians, studious, sharp, and thoughtful. You see, I take some time to hit on each one of these because the truth I want to get across here is this. If in your self-assessment, you found yourself to be unique from others in this body, if in your self-assessment, you found yourself to be uh, entirely unique in your missional family, if you look at other people using their God-given spiritual gifts in church and you think, man, I could never do that. I think the lie that people tend to think when they see things like that and they think things like that is that maybe I don't belong here. But the truth that this text is showing us is that instead of thinking, do I belong here? I should be thinking, this body really needs me. This body uh, was created uh, by a God who had the foresight and the vision to help see that we need all of these unique gifts expressed in a way that brings out unity in the body of Christ. Unity in the midst of diversity under the headship of Jesus Christ. Church, our missional families couldn't go up, down, in, out, or forward, or any direction apart from these gifts being used for the glory of God as we gather together. Our church could not go up, down, in, out, forward, backward, any direction without these gifts being used for God's glory as we gather together. But we've got to do that under the headship of Jesus. You see, before we go uh, too far into our conversation this morning about spiritual gifts, uh, I want to make sure that we're on the, on the same page about one thing. And before we do that, I want to illustrate that uh, through talking about one of the things I really love, which is Christian fiction, okay? Uh, y'all, like, I could spend, like, entire days or weeks, if, if my schedule allowed, uh, just diving into fiction written by a couple of friends in England, okay, back in the day. If I could just read C.S. Lewis's Space Trilogy over and over again, if I could get caught up in Narnia for a week at a time, or if I could uh, just take y'all to Middle Earth with me and we could hang out there, like I would be delighted to do this for time as long as God would allow, all right? And one of the things uh, that I've realized this week, uh, I mean, I've been reading like the Lord of the Rings like crazy uh, since the beginning of Christmas break, y'all, uh, but is that in the midst of those things, as I'm diving into conversations with people about these things, uh, there's always something you just, you just want to make sure you're on the same page on uh, before you can move much farther in a conversation about some of these things, right? So let's take, for example, Narnia. 
If you and I were to have a conversation about something happening in uh, C.S. Lewis's profoundly wonderful world of Narnia, and we were to start talking about, you know, Peter or Susan or Edmund or Lucy, maybe even talking about how Santa Claus shows up at one point in time, you know, in, in Narnia, right? It wouldn't really be uh, a conversation I'd want to hang in for too long if we weren't on the same page about the foundationally preeminent character in all of Narnia known as Aslan. Y'all with me? If, if we weren't on the same page about who Aslan was, the one that created all of Narnia, the one that rules his head and that his voice speaks and the one who was sacrificed and slain for, for, for them, uh, then I wouldn't really care to talk much more with you about Narnia. Because this truth is so foundational to any conversation I'd want to have with you about this fictional world. You see, church, in a much higher and holier way, I don't think we can ascend much higher in any conversation about spiritual gifts if we don't first grasp that any spiritual gifts that we've been given are to be used under the headship of Jesus Christ. Y'all with me? Because the word says here in verse 4, there's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. The point being made in verse 4 is that there is one body. If we were to jump down later, we'd see that Jesus is the head of that body. There's not different colored bodies for different colored people. There's not different uh, sized bodies for different sized people. No, there's one body in Christ. And when the grace of God first dawns in an individual's life and he or she puts her faith in Christ, that individual is saved from sin and simultaneously saved into a heavenly gathering assembled around Christ called the body of Christ. Local churches like the church at Ephesus or this one at Harvest City are manifestations of this heavenly body. They're not a part of it. We're manifestations of this heavenly body. So then it should make sense to us that if Jesus, the head of the body, as we see in Ephesians 2, 16, if he reconciled Jews and Gentiles to God in one body through the power of the cross, then members of Christ's body should walk in a manner worthy of Christ by walking in step with the Spirit of Christ who brings about unity and peace. You see, but Jesus isn't just spoken of in these verses as the head of one body. He's also mentioned here as the one Lord. Look at this text. One God and Father of all. One Lord and one Spirit. We see the Trinity loud and clear. Jesus is the one Lord. There's not a Lord over uh, over here calling the shots for people in this socioeconomic status and a different Lord over here calling shots for people in that socioeconomic status. Instead, Paul writes, there's one Lord, there's one faith, and there's one baptism. You see, under Jesus' headship and under Jesus as Lord, this expression uh, of one Lord for some reason leads Paul then to speak of two other ones. It makes sense then if there's one Lord that there is one faith. In other words, there's one common body of belief held by all who are under Jesus' lordship. Right here in the closed hand, we should believe one 
common body of belief held by all who are under Jesus' lordship. And the second one is, is this. It's about baptism. And of all the ones noted in this passage, right, baptism is the only action men- mentioned. I find it amazing that Paul sees baptism a lot differently than I think we do. When we think of baptism, oftentimes our, our first thought is about mode of baptism. Do you baptize believers later on in life or do you baptize babies? Do you do pedo baptism? Paul, on the other hand, seems to have seen baptism as an, as an act that brings unity and oneness rather than an act that separates. Being baptized into Christ unites us with Christ and his body. And I think it's beautiful that where we as humans see division oftentimes, God pronounces unity over all who have been baptized in the name of the Father and in the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen? So there's one other passage I want to mention before we transition here. Colossians 2.19 says it like this. It says, and not holding fast to the head, that's Jesus, the head of the body of Christ, right? From whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. As foundational as Aslan is to Narnia is the truth that as we think about expressing our spiritual gifts in the body of Christ, that Jesus is the head of the body of Christ, that he's the one that holds the body of Christ together, that he's the one that nourishes every member in his body, and that if we have any desire to grow, then we need to understand that that growth is from God. And that's where we're going to land next. Lesson number two this morning before we head home is this. God gives believers spiritual gifts so that we'd grow in maturity. Continue on with me in this text in verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers. What did he give them for? To equip the saints for the work of the ministry. For building up the body of Christ. Until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. To mature manhood. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Paul says this a few different ways, right? But it's clear that the end goal of God's grace poured out in the form of spiritual gifts is that every member in the body of Christ, becomes more like Jesus. Return with me to thinking about these gifts played out in missional families or in in the body of Christ, right? Think about an apostolic leader with me first. Within a missional family, apostolic leaders, they enjoy mobilizing people for mission, championing the gospel, and moving the group forward in discipleship and multiplication. In their unique way, apostolic leaders are pushing people toward Jesus, building up the body of Christ in order that we might become more mature. Think about this for prophets. With, within a missional family, prophetic leaders enjoy leading prayer. They enjoy empowering others in their spiritual gifts and calling the community to purity, to repentance, and to worship. 
in their, in their unique way, right? Prophetic leaders are speaking the truth in love one to another, building up the body of Christ and equipping the saints for the work of the ministry that we might all become more like Jesus in line with his word. What about, what about an evangelist? Well, within a missional family, evangelistic leaders are consistently stirring that pot, right? And they are calling others toward mission, towards service, to participation in community activities, and evangelism. They're regularly bringing non-Christians into the community of faith. And God often uses them to bring people to faith in Christ. They're uniquely using their God-given gifts to build up the body of Christ, to equip others in evangelism in order that we might all become more like Jesus. What about a shepherd? Within a missional family, shepherd leaders are relentlessly people-focused. They often enjoy leading discussions, facilitating discipleship, praying with people, and offering pastoral counsel and care. Although that's not the same, it's not uniform as these other gifts that we've been talking about. They are uniquely using their gifts in the body of Christ to build up the body, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, that we might become more mature and like Jesus. And lastly, what about a, what about a teacher? With, within a missional family, teaching leaders often Enjoy leading discussions, discipling others, starting book groups, and answering questions about what the Bible says. You might say that each of these types of gifted leaders helps the rest of the group become more like Jesus in their own unique way. But here comes another way that they're similar. Even though their gifts are unique, right? They each use their gifts to, hopefully you heard it, equip the saints for the work of the ministry. They each use their gifts to build one another up in the body of Christ. And they are continually each speaking the truth in love as they do that. So look at, let's look at a, a couple of these for a moment before we head home. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers, although quite different, from one another, were each given to the church to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. This means that if you're an apostolic leader who loves championing the gospel, then by all means, champion the heck out of that gospel to the glory of God. But don't stop there. Teach others to dream in the gospel the way that you dream in gospel. Teach others to become fluent in the gospel the way that you have become fluent in the gospel. Equip the saints. It can't stop with you. Build one another up and do this by speaking the truth in love, preaching that gospel into the lives of people in this church as often as you can so that they too will one day speak the truth in, the, in love and be fluent in the gospel as they do it. This means that if you're an evangelistic leader who loves sharing the gospel with not yet believers, then by all means, share the gospel with anyone who will listen to you and point them to Jesus. Amen? But don't stop there. 
This is where we get tripped up on sometimes. I think we think that evangelistically gifted people, they're the ones that have to be the only ones out there on the front lines. No, 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 no. Their job isn't to stop there. Their job is then to not stop there and to teach others how to start spiritual conversations, to teach others the little things that you do to gain a hearing for the gospel when you're at work, just in your, in your interactions with other people. And we do this by equipping the saints by building one another up, and by speaking the truth in love, reminding the people in our church how we were saved by grace, and because we've been saved by grace, there's not anybody out there who's a hopeless case, and I want to share that grace with anybody that can listen so that they can meet my God of grace, and they can bask in the glory of the gospel with us here in the body of Christ for the rest of their life. Amen? So that they too will one day speak the truth in love to both believers and non-believers. This means that if you are a shepherd leader who loves you some discipleship, right? Then by all means, make disciples to the glory of God. Make as many disciples as God would see fit to do through your life. But don't stop there. Every disciple that you make ought to be being pressed forward to pay it forward so that when you make a disciple, you don't make a single disciple who doesn't know how to multiply their life and also make disciples. You see what I mean? If we just stop by using our gifts like in in a way that we express them and we don't continue on equipping the saints, building one another up, speaking the truth in love and reminding all of our brothers and sisters in Christ that every disciple, no matter their spiritual gifts, should be about the work of making disciples so that they too will speak the truth in love more and more. There will not continue to be disciples made in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The crazy thing is, I think sometimes we get tripped up in this and we think, man, this is my gift, and so my lane is I do these things. But we forget that as we do those things, we've got to be bringing with us the other people in the body of Christ alongside us, equipping them and building them up. They may not ever be as fruitful in their evangelistic ministry as you are if you're gifted in evangelism. But gosh, if they became 10 or 20 or 30 or 40% more effective, isn't that worth it to the glory of God as we equip the saints for his glory? So before we head home this morning, I want each one of us to hear one more time the gospel theology that fuels our gospel unity and spurs us on toward maturity in Christ. In Ephesians 1 Paul speaks about the gospel and his calling in this way in verse 9 and 10. He says, making known to us the mystery of his will. This is God's will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Let me be clear about one thing this morning. God's plan is to unite all things in heaven and on earth in Christ. And that means this morning, if you don't yet know Christ, that his desire for you is that you would be united to Jesus. That whatever baggage you bring into that relationship, he doesn't bring any, by the way, because he's holy. That you can, this morning, confess your sin 
receive the good news of the gospel that Jesus left heaven, came to earth, died the death that you deserved, uh, and he rose from the grave to conquer death, sin, and Satan so that you could be united with Christ in God. His plan is to unite all things, not just us, but all things in heaven and earth in the person of Jesus Christ. In Ephesians 2 He goes on in speaking about the gospel and this calling in this way. In verse 8 and 10, 8 to 10, he says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This doesn't happen by your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And he says, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Remember, it's the grace of God working through the Spirit of God that as we use our gifts, it's not because we uh, like just can do these things. It's because we are gifted people. God has done the work, and he has made us his workmanship. He's even prepared good works in advance for us to do. And I think a good amount of those works are unifying works through us using our spiritual gifts to build up the body of Christ, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, and to help others become mature and more like Jesus. You see, Paul calls us to walk in a manner worthy of that calling this morning. And my prayer is not that we would try and grind this out in our own strength, but rather that we would stay in step with the Holy Spirit, using our spiritual gifts for God's glory, on the path towards spiritual growth by the grace of God. Will you all pray with me? God, it's true uh, that your desire is that each one of us, that in every way that our lives would come under your lordship, that we would be unified. We're one of the things in heaven and earth that you want to unite under the headship of Jesus Christ. God, right now in our lives, would you, conv- uh, would you convict us of sin? Would you show us the places in our lives where we are not united with you in word and in deed? But then, God, as we go from this place this morning, as we continue to sing songs this morning, would we remember that we are God's workmanship. If we're in Christ Jesus, you have done a work in our lives. You have prepared good works in advance for us to walk in, and you've given us gifts empowered by your Holy Spirit to walk them out, not in our own strength, but in your strength for the glory of God, for the betterment of the body of Christ. God, would you be at work in unique ways in our midst to unite us under Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.